Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being so good today. Thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you're here. Father, I pray that you would just let this atmosphere stain our hearts, that it stain our minds. We just honor you this morning, Jesus. In Jesus' name, touch this message as I speak this morning. Let it be none of me, all of you. Let every person under the sound of my voice leave this place changed. Wanting more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Now, I'm going to give you a little heads up this morning. We're going we're we're to preach from Leviticus in a minute. That book that y'all skip when you read your daily your, your Bible reading for the year. It's amazing. You, you go through that daily Bible reading. You get, if you're reading it on a decent pace, you get to Leviticus by around March. All of a sudden, everybody has to pick up again come Easter. I don't understand what it is. Just Leviticus is like this, this, this little sloth everybody gets in. But <clears throat> we're going to go through it this morning. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you. I love reading Leviticus. Like once you get, once you like realize that typology is a thing, and like it, things have to happen in the natural, then they happen in the spirit. It becomes very interesting. But open your Bibles to Luke chapter eight this morning. It's a very popular phrase that people have said. Have you ever said it or felt this way, where you're on the struggle bus, or you drive in the struggle bus, or your your life is a train wreck, or you're just struggling constantly? Has ever happened to you? I say, nobody else feels that way? Okay, well, huh, I got plenty of room on the bus. I feel like I'm driving it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> plenty of room. Well, I believe there are people who live their lives feeling that no matter what they do, no matter how they try, no matter what changes they make, they're always struggling. They're always fighting. They're always clawing. They're always battling. And you see believers that way, you see unbelievers that way, you see people who've met Jesus and you would think that there would be a change and there still seems to have not been one. And there's just this confusion of of everything they get involved in is a struggle. I'll let you know this morning that Jesus, Jesus works with them people too. Amen? Well, this morning I want to talk to you from one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's Luke chapter 8, woman with the issue of blood. We used to sing a song called Like the Woman. And it was a really great song that I'm not going to sing for you right now. Anyway, let's go to Luke 8.43. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. Say the border. And immediately her flow stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng upon you. That word throng always just touches me for some reason, throng, impress you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And Jesus said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in 
piece. You have all read this story. You have all heard this preached about most likely, but I want to go like real deep into it this morning because there's there's some power in it that we don't see if we just read it. Luke chapter 8, we don't dive into it. There's a lot of power to this. So before we can go any deeper, we have to understand more of the context involved in the situation. So first and foremost, this lady has a lot of stuff working against her, a lot. First of all, she's a woman. And at this time, women were viewed as second-class citizens, right? In 2000 years, 2000 years ago, second-class citizens sometimes are viewed as, as property of their husbands, not even property of an owner or something, but literally property of their husbands. And so she is a woman, which she's already at a disadvantage publicly. <clears throat> then you add to that that she is a woman who is a subject of a foreign empire. So right now, the whole land of Israel is under the rule of the Roman Empire. And so not only is she a second-class citizen within her own culture, this probably makes her a third-class citizen because she's not a Roman. You follow what I'm saying? So not only is she a woman, not only is she the subject of a foreign empire, but she's a sick woman of a foreign empire. <clears throat> now, as if that wasn't enough, she's broke. She spent everything she had trying to fix her problem. Now, I did a whole lot of digging, and I found out what most people believe she had. Most, most theologians and people who study medicine and physicians believe, and I'm, I'm going to try and pronounce it. Y'all can pray with me right now, is menorrhagia. Did I say it right? Yes. That's awesome. I tried real hard. I got it, like, written out all phonetically. Which is basically a prolonged menstrual cycle. So now let's add another layer to what this poor lady's dealing with. So she's a woman in a society where she's a second-class citizen. She's the subject of a foreign empire, which puts her even further down the road. She's sick. She's broke. And her sickness is not something you want to post on Facebook. Right? Now, again, if you would humor me, we're going we're gonna to be mature this morning, right? We're going we're gonna to talk about some, some things, right? Some things. Not only is this the condition, but you do realize that nobody wore pants. Nobody wore pants. So this lady is living under these conditions. And there's really no way to hide what's going on. And you would imagine, like maybe a week you could make it work. But this is 12 years. So imagine the shame and the awkwardness and the simply, I don't want to do nothing, but I got to go do something. Because I can't stay penned up for, for any longer. I got to go see the doctor. But if I go to the doctor and I'm walking around and I'm huffing up hills, I'm, it's eventually going to be noticeable that I'm bleeding. And then everybody's going to look at me and it's going to be this big, big, uncomfortable, horrible situation. This lady lived like this for 12 years. Then she hears about Jesus. You ever heard about Jesus? Right. Like, I, I hear they got this guy, Jesus, who's changing people's lives, and he's healing the sick, and, and he's doing things nobody had ever done. Do you realize that nobody had ever opened blinded eyes until Jesus? Somebody else had rose somebody from the dead. Somebody else had healed diseases. Somebody else had made lame walk. But nobody else had ever opened blinded eyes because, spiritually speaking, nobody else can open blinded eyes, right? All right. So she hears about Jesus and how amazing this man Jesus is, but she, she's embarrassed of her condition. 
So she's not going to respond to an altar call. She's not going to walk up to him and say, hey, heal me. She's like, if I could just grab the hem of his robe, if I could just catch the bottom of what he's wearing, if I could just touch, I ain't even got to touch him. I just want to touch his robe. And see me, it says she came up behind him, which means she's sneaking on him. Y'all, she tried sneaking up on God. But after I read this so many times, I I thought to myself, there's got to be a reason she's sneaking up on him. Because the reason you sneak up on somebody is because you don't want them to know you're coming. And why would a sick person not want the person who's healing the sick to know they're coming? There was a reason why that she didn't want him to know. And as I'm reading it, my initial thought was she was just ashamed. Oh, it's way worse. It's way more than that. See, this lady not only, and we're going to go over it again because I want to make sure you get it. Not only is she a second-class citizen, not only is she the subject of a foreign empire, not only is she absolutely broke, walking around basically having a prolonged menstrual cycle for 12, not, not, all of that's going on. She comes up from behind to Jesus. Now, that is why we have to go to Leviticus. And I've read this so many times in Luke, but I never connected it to Leviticus, which makes it so much more powerful. Leviticus 15. Now, before we dive into Leviticus, I need you to understand, in case you've never read it, because most of y'all probably haven't, because you skipped it on a daily Bible reading. It's okay. It's all right. Or you read it real fast. That's like the fastest you ever do in the Bible reading. When I was a youth pastor, I used to always challenge my young people. Like when they really wanted to go deeper with God, I wouldn't tell them to read Romans or Hebrews. I'd say, go read Leviticus. They're like, why? I'm like, because if you can read Leviticus, you can read the other 65. Just go read Leviticus and tell them when you're done. And most of them didn't finish it. It's okay. Leviticus is the rules. It's the breakdown of the law. It's the way the Israelites were supposed to govern themselves how they were supposed to judge themselves, how they were supposed to live and worship God. This was their rule book, their law book that God gave Moses on top of the mountain. He came down, and this is how the entire society operated. This isn't just how they operated in church. This was the the governing rules, the governing law of their entire society. So they've got Roman law, and they've got Jewish law. And so they're living under both. So we're going to pick up in Leviticus 15, verse 19. If a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or anything on where she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days. And every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. According to... The law, she was unclean for seven days. Everything she touched, everything that touched what she touched, and everything that touched her was unclean. It had to be ceremonially clean, not just, let me throw in the washer. There was a ceremonial cleansing that had to take place. Now, obviously, if we got down into the medical part of this, we would understand why there was all these rules in place of having things cleaned and sterilized. We're talking about blood. And so it was a big deal. But imagine this pressure. Anything she touches, 
anything that touches her and anybody that touches what she touches is unclean. Okay, now, the difference is, is that she wasn't just unclean seven days. She was unclean 12 years. So for 12 entire years, this lady has lived knowing anything I touch is unclean. Any person I touch is unclean. Any person who touches what I've touched is unclean. Any person who touches the person I've touched is unclean. Can you imagine the anxiety? Can you imagine, like, how often did she see her family? How often did they get together for one of the feasts and she had to have her own separate spot on the different side of the room because she didn't want to get anybody else unclean because then they would have to go do all these different things. I would imagine this lady felt like she was driving the struggle bus. This lady felt like literally everything she touched went wrong. And she's been living under this pressure, living under this anxiety, living under this struggle for 12 years. Her struggle was in middle school. That's how long this was going on. I mean, humor me for a minute. And I can't relate to the female side of this, obviously. But I can only imagine how absolutely tormenting it had to have been to battle everything we talked about at the beginning, right? Second class citizen, subject of foreign empire, she's sick and she's broke, like all of that. But then understanding that while I'm carrying all, all of this burden, I can't touch nobody. Nobody can touch me. I can't be with my husband. I can't snuggle my kids. If I go to the market, I have to make sure that either no one knows I'm unclean or I have to figure out a way to arrange it to where they can put the fruit I need in the basket and then I touch the basket, but I couldn't touch the basket to bring it there. Do you understand how exhausting this has to be? Have you ever felt that exhausted? Have you ever felt to the point that no matter what you did, you messed up every relationship you were in? No matter what happens, every time I get close to somebody in church, something happens. It blows up and I'm the problem. Or, or better yet, when I go to get a job, I'm the one there's always drama around. Or when I go to my family, I'm the one that's always causing a problem. So there's always issues here and issues there, and there's always a problem, and, and, and I don't know what to do with it. And this woman has lived under this pressure for 12 years, and she spent all her money trying to fix it. People right now spend all their money trying to fix the problems in their lives. They spend it in bars. They spend it on drugs. They spend it on, on clothes to get better men and better women in their lives. They spend it on on psychologists. They spend it on medicines. They spend their money on all these different things trying to fix the problem. And the problem is that they can't fix it. And she's, can you imagine the shame? Everywhere she goes, she can't bump in anybody. Let's not talk about the pain that she's most likely in. Right? This is, this is like of all the people in the Bible, this woman's near the top of who I feel bad for. Like the more you study it, what she lived under. But then she hears about Jesus. And she says, oh, I bet he can heal me. But I can't touch him 
Because if I touch him, he'll be ceremonially unclean. If I touch Jesus, my mess, my dirt is going to disqualify him. He'll have to go and ceremonially cleanse himself and what he wears. And there's going to be so many people and all the people that touch Jesus after I touch him. I will not only disqualify Jesus, but I will make everyone else miss out on their opportunity to get ministry if I touch Jesus. So the only option that I have, this lady, is I got to touch him without him knowing and hope that if I touch him without him knowing, he'll heal me without knowing and everything is good. You ever gone to church and you felt like, I'm going to go to church. I don't want nobody to know what I'm dealing with. I don't want to respond to any altar call. I don't want to go up for prayer. I don't want to open my mouth and say anything, but I want Jesus to just fix it. You ever had that happen? You want to sneak in? Years ago, I was... I was backslidden in heart. I was still on the stage leading worship for whatever reason. Brother Carl's just a different guy, I'm telling you. But he left me up there. And uh, thank God he did because I probably wouldn't be here if he didn't. But um, I go to her. My mom made me. You ever had your mom make you do something? Well, David Hogan. Y'all ever, y'all ever heard of David Hogan? Okay. D- David Hogan. Um, we're going to get him back around here one day. David Hogan is a missionary. He's from North Louisiana. He's a missionary down in Mexico. He's raised like 40-some people from the dead. He's just different. He's just a different dude. He's 68 years old and ran. Last time I talked to him, he was running like uh, marathons. Like, dude's just a freak. At one point, he was doing 750 crunches in the morning and then 750 in the evening. Like, he's just not a normal human being. Well, when you meet him, and if you've ever been around him, like just who he is, you, the, the, the power of God, the presence of God just kind of lingers with the man, right? It just stays. He's in it all day long. And mom says, hey, Brother Hogan's going to be at Lifehouse tonight, and I want you to come. I'm like, I, of all the places I don't want to go, that's going to be near the top of them. <laughs> don't, not happening. Not going to do it. She's like, no, actually, you're coming because I'm your mom, and you're a minor, and you're getting in the car, and you're coming. I'm like, awesome. This is fantastic. So here I am sitting in the Hogan service, right? I'm, I'm in there, and I'm like, I don't want to be here because not only do I know that I'm wrong, I don't really want to get right yet because I'm still mad at everybody because I was mad at the church people and stuff like that. So I don't want to get right yet. And the last place you want to be when you know you and God are at odds is in a room with someone like David Hogan. And so we sit on the side. I, y'all can close my eyes and remember this because it is the worst church service I have ever been in, ever, in my life. Most uncom- second most uncomfortable, actually. But anyway, I'm sitting down, and he's tall, too, which is another disadvantage because you can't hide real well if the preacher's 6'3", right? So anyway, so I'm in this, and I'm, I'm literally moving behind the people in front of me so he can't see me like this, just moving. While he's preaching, he literally says from the microphone, oh, he, don't, he don't even know I'm here, he don't even see me. I remember him saying, one of the differences between Mexico and America is in Mexico, people don't hide from God in his own house. I said, ma, I got to pee. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting out of here. I am getting out of here quick. Sure enough, at the end, they call up all the ministers or whatever. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. 
sure enough, I'm going to get prayed for, end up crying the whole nine yards because God found me. But I remember being in the room and not wanting to be there because I don't want nobody to know what I'm dealing with because I ain't trying to get right, and I'm angry, and I'm hurt, and I don't want to talk about it. Just leave me alone. This woman says, I just, I can't let Jesus know I'm coming. Because if he sees me, he won't touch me. Because he knows what's going to happen if he does. If I go tell the church people, I messed up again, they ain't going to tell me, they're going to help me. Because it's going to bring more chaos to their lives. But aren't you glad Jesus is different? See, this lady sneaks up on Jesus. And she grabs a hold of the hem of his garment. But instead of her unclean nature making him unclean, his nature made her clean. Because when I come in contact with Jesus, I don't dirty him with my dirt. He cleans me with his power. Jesus says, hold up. Somebody touched me. Peter's like, you kidding, right? We got this massive crowd of people all around you, and you saying somebody touched you. And Jesus is like, you kidding me, right? You don't get this yet? How long have I been doing? You don't get this yet? See, all those other people were bumping into Jesus. This woman touched him. How many people come to church and bump into Jesus? Because I'm in the room with him. Or I'm in the room around him. And I just bump in. I feel his presence. I get the goosebumps. It might be because the AC is on 67. It might not. But I get the goosebumps, you know what I'm saying? I, I feel something in the room, right? And, and, and the preaching happens, and, and the worship is good, and it stirs me, and I start feeling some kind of way. That's bumping into Jesus. Because the reason you know you bumped into is when you bump into somebody, you say, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, and you go back on your normal business. See, what happens is when I bump into Jesus, I bump into him from 9 to 11, but I'm back doing what I was regularly doing at 1130. The difference was this woman touched Jesus. She did not intend on leaving this, this interaction the same way she walked into it. She said, I'm going to do what I have to do to touch Jesus. Now, I need you to humor me for a second. Now, again, this lady, there are no pants. We don't have mod modern situations. She is fighting her way through a mob of people. I'm going to go ahead and guess. That her blood flow was heavier at this moment in time because she is exerting herself trying to get to Jesus. So as she's pushing through the crowd, most likely she's bleeding down her legs and on her feet. And it's getting out everywhere. And so you can see it. But at this point, she made a decision that me getting a hold of Jesus is more important than my shame. It's more important than what could happen. It's more important than what they're going to say. I'm going to keep pushing even though I relapsed again. I'm going to keep pushing even though 
though another relationship ended. I'm going to keep pushing even though I got drunk again last night. I'm going to keep pushing because I've tried everything else. I've gone every other place and I've got no other option. So you can make fun of me if you want. You can say I'm dirty if you want. You can say I'm the problem if you want. But it doesn't matter because if he can't fix me, nobody else can. And she pushes and she fights and she squeezes her way through and she gets to him, the bottom. That means, y'all, if I was on a stage, I'd lay down. She had to be on the ground. She had to touch the bottom. She touched the hem. This woman got on the ground in the middle of a mob of people. And something tells me that she wasn't even, like, close to him. Something tells me it was one of these. Like, she just shoved her hand through somebody else's leg or between the crowd and just grabbed the hold of Jesus. It was probably the most instantaneous, rare, just, I mean, barely grabbed it. Jesus said, nope, somebody touched me. See, you may be wondering why the problem in your life isn't stopping. Why the bleeding isn't stopping. Why the pain isn't stopping. It's because you're only bumping into him. You're only bumping into him. Because, see, when I bump into Jesus, I feel it for a moment, but it leaves. When I bump into Jesus, I have momentary, oh, that was nice. I have a good church experience. I want to let you know something. I don't always even, you can't, I'm not saying you can't, but I, it's very, very difficult to touch him like this in a church service. Because it's so customary. I'm here anyway. It's part of my routine. I'm just doing what I do. No, in service, he touches you. And you could push through and come up for prayer. I'm not, I'm not diminishing all those things. But what I will tell you is there's something different. When you're not a morning person, but you become one. Because you need to touch him. There's, there's something different when all of a sudden you, you're, you're, your Netflix app isn't just not being used. It's deleted. Because I got to get with Jesus. Because I need, I need to touch the hem of his robe. Because what I've got can't be fixed because I've tried it. Another man, another woman's not going to fix the problem. A better job's not going to fix the problem. Better friends, not going to fix the problem. The problem is something so deep inside of each and every one of us that the only thing that fixes it is the power of God. And sometimes the only way to get the power of God is to push through the crowd and not care what it looks like. Jesus says, somebody touched me. We have access, Hebrews 4, we have access 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For we have a great high priest who has been acquainted with our suffering. And because of that, we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence and find help in our time of need. We can boldly approach. But sometimes we think I can't because of the shame. 
I can't because of the mess. I can't because of the problem. Let me tell you something. Your dirt won't make him dirty. Your dirt won't make him dirty. But we live life thinking that I got to get it right first. I just got to get more discipline. That's what it is. I got to get more discipline in my life, and I got to get some good accountability. And after I'm disciplined and I'm accountable, then I'll start really being used by the Lord. No. Get with Jesus. Start finding out what he wants you to do. Start focusing on him and who he wants you to be. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself more disciplined. You'll find accountability happens organically. And the next thing you know, it's been three and a half weeks since you struggled. Romans 7, the great tongue twister of the New Testament, verse 14 through 25. I'm not going to quote it because I can't quote the whole thing, but I'll give you the summary. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. So I constantly find myself doing things I don't want to do because of the law that works in me. Because what I do want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I keep doing. Now, the summary is, can I borrow this for a second? I'm going to use it right here. The summary is, if this is my problem, right? Let's say this cane is my problem. The summary of that chapter is, I'm struggling with the cane. I'm struggling with this addiction. I'm struggling with this bondage. I'm struggling with this hurt. I got to get rid of this hurt in Jesus' name. This hurt's got to get away. I can't handle it no more. Can you help me with my hurt? Notice, I don't even, I can't even tell your faces because I'm just zeroed in on my problem. I'm focusing on my problem. I can't get rid of my problem. And if I try to talk to Jamie, I'm going to hit it with the problem. And if I try to talk to Nick, I'm going to hit it with the problem. Because all I focus on is my problem. And I fall downstairs because I'm focused on my problem. And I can't have a meaningful relationship because I'm focused on my problem. And Lord, help me if if Rhonda or Rochelle or somebody asks me to teach life group I can't because I'm focused on my problem I'll fall in a pool like this I walk into a street like this because I'm not paying attention to anything but the problem and Paul says when I try to do good evil is always with me because I'm trying in my own strength to stop holding on to the cane when the cane is part of me what I'm supposed to do is find Jesus and say, Lord, and then you know what he does? He says, hey, walk with me. What about this? I ain't worried about that. Did I talk about that? No. Take it to the cross and leave it. Walk with me. All right. But Lord, now don't. Don't do it. Walk with me. All right, Lord. But Lord... All right, Lord, I'm going to life group. They want me to pray. I don't want to pray, but Lord, pray. We'll keep walking. Lord, but then eventually, look, I left it behind. Because I touched Jesus. You may be here this morning, and you may be saying, Pastor Chris, I'm tired of bumping into him. I'm tired of bumping into him. Because it ain't working. I've seen it work for this one. I've seen it work for this one. And I've seen it work for this one. And I've seen it work for this one. I need it to work for me. You got to touch him. You got to push through the crowd. I, I, this mess, this chapter can go so deep. This story can go so deep. Last thing I'll give you. Do you know what the crowd is? 
right here. This is what the crowd is. There's no crowd to get to the altar in church. We're going to move out the way unless you get there, right? right? No, nobody's going to be at your house and prevent you from getting in your prayer closet. You, you can set the clock whatever time you want. You're the one that hits news. No, this is the crowd. Oh, Nick, they, they, they don't care that much. Nick, they, they, they don't really want to help you. Nick, prayer ain't going to do it because if it did, you prayed already. Nick, worship's not going to help. It's just music. Nick, Nick, this. Nick, you were better off doing this. Nick, why don't you go back to the bar? Nick, why don't you go do this? And you, it's the crowd. That's the opposition against you that you have to push through the crowd. You have to push through. I don't want to go tell my people at church because they're going to judge me. They're going to talk about me. They're not going to like me. They're not going to be my friend anymore. I'm not going to get invited places. No, 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 I can't. I got to push. No, you got to push through the crowd. You got to take care of every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, bring it to subjection. That's the crowd. A lot of times we think the people in this room are the problem. They're not the problem. Newsflash, they're not. I don't know if you knew that. They're not. This is right here. Sometimes I don't even think the enemy has to mess with us. He just needs to send one tiny little thought in our mind and just sit back and go, watch this. Out of church for a month, one thought. She pushed through the crowd. Didn't care what it looked like and grabbed a hold of his garment. This morning, are you ready to touch him or are you just content to bump into him? Because, see, touching him, all it takes is one time. One time. We can talk about stories. Of people who touched him one time and were changed. One time. Not 15. One. Did everything, was everything perfect? No. I guarantee you when she walked away from that encounter, she had to go tell people. She had to go tell her family. She had to go repair relationships. She had, to go, she had to go get new furniture. She had to go change all kind of things in her life that didn't disqualify the touch. A lot of times we disqualify the touch because of the work we have to do afterwards. Jesus, I thought you was going to fix everything. I did. You're not going to hell no more. I fixed it. That's like somebody giving you a house and you being mad because you got to take the trash out. Man, they gave me this 2,000-square-foot house with a pool and a garage and everything. I got to take, take the trash out. Can you believe that? It's unbelievable. Some people. Just ridiculous. You would think that they would do that for me too, right? Jesus only died on the cross for death that wasn't his, for sin he didn't commit. For every human being that's ever lived and ever will live, he died. And he comes in and he, he takes us from a place of eternal guilt to eternal acceptance. He takes us from being dead in sin to alive in Christ. He takes us from being lost and now found and blind and we can now see. He does a transformation that no one else could ever do. He does this and we experience it and then we get mad because we got to delete some phone numbers out of our phone. Oh, man, Pastor Chris, it's just so difficult. I don't, I don't know what to do. No, this lady had to walk back home. Again, if we being real, she was probably a mess. 
She's full of mud, dirt, blood, everything. She had to go clean herself up. Jesus will touch you. He will cleanse you of the thing you can't cleanse yourself of. Stop expecting him to do all of the work. There are some things in obedience you and I have to do to demonstrate faith in the work he did. By being obedient, I walk this thing out and I take care of what I can take care of. And then the best part is he even says, oh, I'm going to give you a helper to help you do the things that I'm already taking care of the heavy work. I'm going to give you a helper for the light work. That's me giving you a brand new paid off house and saying I'm going to hire somebody to come remind you and help you to take out the trash, show you where the bag is, show you where the dumpster is, and remind you when it's got to go out. And we still don't take the trash out. <laughs> no, I got to push through the crowd. I got to grab a hold of him. And then I got to go on my way and do what I'm supposed to do. Bow your heads this morning. The reason I believe we're not seeing the power of God like we want to or believe we should is because we're not, we're not pushing through. We're not touching him. We're bumping into him. See, today you got pursued prayer. You want to push through the crowd? Skip them afternoon football games. Saints are losing right now. Probably it's okay. We look so bad this year. It's not a distraction. Skip them evening games and be a prayer. Go be late to the party. I know you got to go cut the grass. I know you got to go clean out the garage. Do that kind of understand. Come here and push through the crowd and grab a hold of Jesus. Say, I'm not leaving. I'm grabbing a hold of you. I'm pushing through over and over and over. and over. I'm pushing through my depression. I'm pushing through my anxiety. I'm pushing through my fear. I'm pushing through my addiction. And I'm grabbing a hold of your garment. And I'm not letting go. I'm not stopping until power comes and it changes me. Father, I thank you for 